Hey gang, my name is Jack Barker. I am a missionary here at Damascus and also one of the producers and editors of Beyond Damascus. Just a little quick message before we get into the episode. This is our first time doing a digital interview with a software that we're unfamiliar with. So with that, there come a few problems and a few hiccups. So in this episode, Brad is a little weird. His audio got a little messed up in the first recording, but we plan to have these kinks worked out for future interviews. So expect amazing audio quality in the future and for all of our other interviews to be the world-class content that you are used to with Beyond Damascus. Thank you so much and enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. My name is Brad Pierron. I'm one of the hosts here with Beyond Damascus. As you know, my good friends Dan Dimite and Aaron Richards usually join me. But today we have the good fortune of having our first virtual interview, and it's going to be with Dr. Andrew Swafford, who I've had the opportunity to speak with over the last few minutes. And um, I'm really impressed by Dr. Swafford. I've heard a lot of things about him because I know Benedict in college pretty well. Um, for all the Ravens out there listening, um, shout out to you. Uh, a good friend of mine that works here at Damascus, who we'll talk about later first, was telling me about Andrew. And Andrew um, and I have some similar background in the sense that he also uh, loves the game of football. And we're from Ohio, so that makes sense. He's from the Dayton area. I'm from the Portsmouth area. And just to give a little background on Dr. Swafford, um, just reading this from his page with Benedictine College, he's the Associate Professor of Theology at Benedictine College and is the general editor and contributor to the Great Adventure Catholic Bible, which you might know through our previous episode with Jeff Cavins is a major hit and is doing a lot of good work uh, for the church. Uh, he he also is um, the host of the DVD series Hebrews, The New and Eternal Covenant, as well as the author and host of Romans, The Gospel of Salvation. So. Um, Dr. Swafford has been affiliated with Benedictine for a long time. He's married to Sarah Swafford, who you may also uh, know, at least in the virtual space, those who are listening. And they have five little ones. They've been married for 17 years, and it's a great joy to have him. And it's one thing to say things about people. It's another thing to meet them. So why don't we go ahead and bring in Dr. Andrew Swafford. Andrew, it's really good to see you. Oh, Brad, it's so good to be with you. This is great. Yeah, what a joy. A lot of books behind you. Have you read all of them? <laughs> you know, that's the question I always get. I'm like, no, yeah. books are tools, right? You're not a yeah, slave to book, you know. So I can tell you why I have all of them. But uh, <laughs> you know, one thing I came across early on is like some books you read for formation, where you're like, I want to think like this person. Mm -hmm. Everything else you read for information, where it's like that chapter's gold, that chapter's gold. But you don't have to always be a slave cover to cover. So yeah, that's a really good word. Up. Yeah, so I, I find myself often going to books because someone's like, hey, there's this chapter in this book that right. will speak exactly to what you're passionate about right now. And I found myself doing yeah. the same thing. So uh, yeah. quite the impressive library. But yeah, I think um, for all those listening, our theme for today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the creed because uh, Andrew's actually uh, written a book on the creed entitled What We Believe. And um, there's just a lot of beauty in that book. But before we get to that, I'd like to talk a little bit about your faith journey, Andrew, if we can. So like when you think about... Um, yeah, your life, like when was the moment that you realized that Jesus was worth giving your life to? When would you say that happened for you? 
Well, that's yeah. Thanks for asking. I, I grew yeah. up Catholic. Grew up in the uh, in the Buckeye State in Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, and I, mm-hmm. I was kind of Catholic in name only. I mean, you know, we probably went to mass maybe once a month. You know, I mean, it, it was a little bit more than kind of C and E, Christmas and Easter. But um, I really didn't know. I didn't know anybody in my entire life who was on fire for Jesus, uh, cared about the faith. It was just kind of there. Uh, you know, you prayed before uh, football games and stuff like that. But uh, right. <laughs> that's about all it was. I mean, for me, high school is about my image, football, sports, girls, parties. That's kind of where I was. Um, you know, you grew up in Ohio, you dream about being a Buckeye and you realize eventually, well, you're not quite that good. <laughs> so for me, I took the next best thing. And, and I, I, I went to school where I teach now. Uh, I went to Benedict College as a student. The only reason was to play football. That's the only reason I went there at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of, you know, Freshman year, I kind of thought I had everything I wanted. I mean, I made the travel squad. I made the playoff roster. Uh, yeah. But something was missing. Something was missing. Um, just real, I guess, brief. I We played a game in uh, Paris, France at the end, right after my freshman year in May. Something they do, they they did every couple of years where just an exhibition game, American football. And I didn't even want to go. I wanted to just get home to Ohio and train, try to gun for a starting spot my sophomore year. And there I am in Paris, France, and I break my leg. And I'm like, my world's gone. I'm crushed. Like, who mm-hmm. I am is no more. And, um, you know, I had a few classes with a certain Dr. Edward Sri. Uh, he had yeah, I've heard of him. Years. <laughs> I was intrigued up here, but I wasn't ready to change my life. And that summer, it was like sank into a depression, slow trickle from the head to the heart. And we went out to lunch in August uh, to begin my sophomore year. And I'm, I got a thousand questions for him left and right. And you know, he's like, I'm teaching this class called Christian Moral Life. It's full, but it sounds like you'd be right up your alley. I'll let you in if you like. I'm like, well, uh, let me think about it. Everything I'm taking, I need. I registered that season because I didn't want to waste a year of eligibility and I haven't trained. And that class, I mean, among other things, changed my life because you walk in thinking it's a bunch of rules. Can't do this. Church says this, blah, blah, blah. And it was about freedom, friendship, virtue, happiness. All of a sudden I could see this is why you're you're not happy. You're made for more. And kind of got involved with the Bible study, a different group of guys. And they had a, a joy and a peace that I didn't have. It's because they knew Jesus Christ. And I had never seen that before. And the last thing was a girlfriend uh, from back home in Ohio you know, good girl that she was, that was the last thing, you know, for both of us, it wasn't taking mm-hmm. either of us to our Lord. And, um, that was a journey. Like a lot of people I had, you know, kind of had to walk away from that. And my high school friends were like, well, what's happened to Swafford and spread all kinds of rumors about me. And that Christmas break, you just never felt more alone, more at peace. And it was like, after that, it was like gas on a fire. And I, I, you know, I kept playing football, but it was like, what does that killer instinct look like in the game yeah. of life, in the moral and spiritual life? And, you know, I mean, I just can't explain it. I mean, and I, my, mm-hmm. my wife transferred to Benedictine a year later, and, and it's like uh, so many times so, a door's got to close for a new one to open. But it's scary because your life's like on the edge of a knife. It's like if I go all in, am I going to lose who I am? And it's like, you know, for everybody mm-hmm. out there, if that's you, it's like you won't lose who you are, man. You you will become a deeper, more convicted, more confident version of who you always were, and Jesus Christ will transform you from the inside out. Have no fear. But it's easy to say on this side of things. I remember what it was like then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never look back and I'm here now because I want to give back in the way that Dr. Shree and so many others gave to me. And I actually teach that class right now, Christian Moral Life. And um, I even had his daughter, Madeline Shree, in that class. I'm like, this is surreal. that's full circle. Yeah, that uh, is. In fact, I just I just shared my story in class the other day. And, you know, it's just like this is why I'm here. I'm, I mean, there's an academic component, but I'm here to give back in the way people gave to me. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Well, it's it's funny in the Christian life because trust always leads to transformation, doesn't it? When we're talking to the missionaries here at Damascus, a lot of times 
exactly what you're saying. There's that, that time where it's like, if I give the Lord this, is he going to take it away forever? Well, no, he, he takes it only to transform it and to give it back better. Right. And so, um, that's awesome. Uh, I, what intrigues me about your story is that the identity piece, right? That we're always trying to place our identity in something. We were just made as human beings to have an identity. Uh, and so we find different places to place that we put that in sports. We put that in relationships. We put that in, uh, popularity, prestige, like all of the things that we, we find. And, um, yeah, it, it sounds like there was a, uh, a clear switch in your heart where the identity began to find itself in the Lord and has only yeah. built on that over time. So what do you think, like, based on that transition, what, what was your response outside of of teaching. So clearly like it, there's, there's some time between taking your first theology class and becoming a PhD in theology, you know? So like, um, throughout that time, were you just convinced that teaching is exactly what you wanted to do? Or were you open to a variety of different things? Like what was your response really from that place of, I want to give what I've been given. Yeah. Was it immediately okay. teaching or was there other well, no, that's a great question. I mean, there, there was, uh, I think like a lot of guys, I mean, when you fall in love with Jesus and you fall in love with the Blessed Sacrament, you think real hard and pray real hard about the priesthood. Uh, yeah. And so there, there was a time when I was pretty set on seminary after college. For me and my personal journey, in fact, when Sarah transferred in uh, to Benedict in the beginning of our junior year, um, we were doing a lot of retreats together and things like that. And because and, uh, we, we really, a lot of us had a big conversion. Benedictine is amazing. It's amazing. It, it didn't always look like it does now. And a lot of us had major conversions here and wanted to kind of give back and help convert the school. Um, but I, I remember talking to Sarah early on, just saying, hey, just so you know, this is what I'm planning on doing. Just because we spent a lot of time together. And that actually enabled us to kind of build a friendship. Uh, and that semester, um, and we, we went on a date right before Christmas break, uh, junior year, and we decided to pray about it separately over break. Now, this is before texting, right? So we decided let's not call each other for break. Because if I talk to you every day, I know what my discernment will be, right? Uh, <laughs> let's just pray for the Lord's calling us to date or not. And for me, it was, you know, uh, I felt a sense of the Lord saying, Andy, you got the same old vices. Like you want to be the star. You want to be the star priest, wear the collar, give the best homilies, go into bars and evangelize. And it's like, you're just the same old Andy with a little bit of Jesus frosting. You'll do the most for me if you do what I call you to do. And that might be taking a back seat for a while. And, 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 and you know, and just, and so it really kind of discerned the Lord calling us together. Um, it was at that point that grad school and teaching kind of emerged. And I think principally, so I got involved with Focus. Um, Benedict now has St. Paul's Outreach and Focus. Then it was just Focus. Um, but I think because Dr. Shu was such a pivotal influence in my life, that was just kind of a clear model. Uh, how do I how do I get where he got to give back and what he gave? So that's what made it kind of such a natural, organic um, move. And and scripture was kind of a so I didn't mention that, but scripture really was a first love scripture mm -hmm. and virtue and this this, you know, uh, interior life. That's kind of what did it, like connecting Jesus to the church. Because everyone's like, you know, I love Jesus. Get that stinking church thing away from me. And connecting mm -hmm. Jesus, the story of Israel, and to the church. So I, I really want, and that's where I began my grad work was in, uh, I, I went to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, I did a master's in Old Testament Semitic Languages. I was the only Catholic in the program. They actually coined me Catholic Andy. And I, I mean, it was wonderful. Lots of languages, archaeology, history. And I've got great friends from that time and lots of long conversations uh it was really yeah so scripture was so important to me that i started studying like summer between junior and senior year i did intensive greek uh that summer and I did hebrew the next summer before my my grad mm -hmm. work um so yeah it was kind of a it wasn't the only thing i thought about but once the seminary was kind of off the table grad school was kind of a natural step 
Yeah. And that's where adventure comes in too, right? Like it's, uh, it's fun to see how the Lord, like he writes straight with crooked lines. And so we can sometimes be like, am I going here? Am I going here? And he, he makes a path for us, which is, um, just exciting to hear in your story. And yeah, I think, uh, as, as you've been teaching there at Benedict and you've made an impact on a lot of lives. So uh, one of my good friends, Sam Halligan, who I mentioned in the intro to this show. I love Sam. <laughs> and he loves, off. he loves you. And so does Whitney and their little one, Judah. And they have a second one on the way, which oh, is so exciting. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I would like to ask you, so in, in getting to know Sam, uh, obviously beyond Damascus, a lot of our listeners, they know that it's an outgrowth of Damascus, which is just an apostolate here in Ohio. Um, what, do you know much about Damascus and what we're doing here? Just as a, a fun aside. Well, yes, I'm from Sam, but we've, all, we've, we've had a number of students either go work uh, kind of as interns over the summer, but also students who've graduated and, and have, have mm-hmm. worked for Damascus. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, sing your praises all day long. Thank you all for what you're doing. Such a, such a powerful spiritual oasis. And I, I think I sense things are better, but it, you know, in, in full truth, I mean, the diocese where I was, I'm sure the problem was on my end, but there wasn't a lot happening. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. grew up four hours from Franciscan. I never heard of Franciscan. I didn't know a single soul who went to a Steubenville Youth Conference. I, and I, I hear from people even at my old high school and things like that, that there are things that are happening that were not happening 20 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. when I was there. So, uh, and, and you all are a huge part of, of, of this heartbeat that, uh, you know, God bless the Buckeye State. Um, I, I pray yeah. for its ongoing conversion. So thank you for all you do. Yeah. Grateful for you saying that. Yeah. Cause the connection that I'm making in it too, is that you're mentioning this idea where there was an encounter with Jesus through the truth of the scriptures, through, uh, through who he is and breaking into your life. And then that led you to a response. And that response was mission, mission in your family, mission for Benedictine and teaching theology and, and mission for the church. And I, I love that your mission led you to write this book on the creed. And we were talking about this before we went live that the creed has been something since my conversion in college that has really drawn me back to kind of that, that first encounter with Jesus. Like when, when he became real to me, the church became real to me because he became real to me in the sacrament that the church puts at the center of its existence. And so the other thing the church puts at the center of its existence is this creed that we've built an entire theology around that we've built an entire way of life around. So, um, I guess before we dive in more specifically to the things you talk about in the book, um, why were you drawn to what we believe in writing this particular book? Why were you drawn to the creed? Um, was there something you were seeing in the church where you're like, you know, the church really needs a, a re-emphasis on the creed? I, I wonder what led you to write the book. You know, I mean, I, I um, and so it's, so it's with Ascension. Marcelino D'Ambrosio is my co-author mm-hmm. uh, the book. And then it, it's also a, a DVD or a video series that we filmed in Rome with my wife, Sarah, and Marcelino and I. We kind of took the content and like you, we went to the places, went to, so you, you know, you go to places like San Clemente, which is a 12th century church built over a 4th century church, built over a 1st century, remains a 1st century house wow. that's connected in some way, according to the church, to Clement, the fourth pope. And so you talk about tradition there, kind of go on site. So, uh, and you can get those um, digitally as well. So it, it, in some ways, it's a follow up to the Jesus study that they did uh, with Marcelino and Dr. Sri and Jeff Cavins um, on the church. And I think it's pretty fitting in a post-COVID era where, you know, mass attendance and, and we were watching mass online. And, and, I, and I think, you know, with, with this project, one of the things we really wanted to do is it's it's not polemical. I mean, it's about Jesus from beginning to end. And I think when you think of the church, don't just think of buildings. 
think about the Eucharist. The Eucharist makes the church. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason the, the church is visible is because of the incarnation and the sacramental nature of the church. It's because of the Eucharist. Um, so it's really very Christocentric. And, and I think, you know, what does it mean to be Catholic? I mean, honestly, it, it's about fullness. Um, to be Catholic is to be Christian with nothing left out. It's about entering the fullness of Christ. And that doesn't mean that our Protestant brothers and sisters don't have truth and aren't doing incredible stuff. I love my time with them. Uh, and when they convert, I mean, I've got a good friend from my time at Trinity. Went off to do a doctorate at Aberdeen in Scotland. Uh, I mean, it just took years where he lost touch, got back in touch like six years later, mm. brought his whole family to the church in 2017. I mean, he, like so many others will say, I don't feel less evangelical. I don't feel less of what I was before. I've, I've embraced a fuller version of it. So I think mm. what we've really kind of unpacked is here's the Catholic faith. It's not like an extra. It's Jesus all in all. So I think kind of reclaiming that and reclaiming what does it mean to be Catholic, that it's not like adding some frosting to Jesus. It's entering yeah. into the fullness of Christ, the fullness of life, the fullness of, of truth and joy. Uh, and that's not condemning anybody else. It's just saying Jesus died to give you and me the fullness of the Catholic faith. Yeah. And that's what it means to be Catholic. Yeah. I loved that emphasis in that, in that second part of the book, our life. Um, like it, it was, it was so clear that, um, or excuse me, our faith, because the third part is our life. But um, the, that part had such an emphasis on fullness. And it reminded me of a Cardinal George quote, actually, where he says that the Catholic Church uh, has all of the gifts that Christ desires for his people. And, and, it, and he said it in such a beautiful way that it didn't condemn our Protestant brothers and sisters that have some of those gifts. And sometimes they exercise them more vibrantly than Amen. we as Catholics. However, the Catholic Church has all of the gifts, the fullness of of the faith that Christ desires for his people. It's the full revelation of the father uh, to us, which is awesome. So yeah, I, I, I want to, um, I want to con connect something in my mind because having just met you today, as you're talking, it sounds to me like you have a great passion of how Catholicism is kind of like the natural next step from all of salvation history. Like I, I just see in you, you have such a, even with what you were talking about with the buildings, like this building built on this building, built on this building. And that's yeah. like, is that not the epitome of the Catholic church that it's been built on this right. salvation history journey? Have you always been interested in history? Is that something that came when you were learning with Dr. Shri or was that just your way of saying, you know, this faith is true because it builds on something that just has a lineage to it? I mean, I think if you want the honest truth, I didn't read many books before I was 20 years old. <laughs> but, but, but when I had we my conversion, yeah, I mean, when I had my conversions, like I want to know everything. I want to mm -hmm. know. So it started with scripture, uh, church history, but, but even like, you know, I, I did a philosophy major as well. And I've actually taught some classes in our philosophy department. I mean, I, I, th that's what sparked it for me was the love of the Lord and seeing everything as from his hand. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of where it started for me. But I think, you know, to see church history as kind of a continuation of salvation history. I mean, I think too often we think of salvation history ended with the death of the last apostle. It's like, no, 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 my friends. Um, like what the salvation history narrative did for me, what the covenant did for me mm -hmm. is it united the head and the heart. It's like you and I stand waist deep in this great story and there's stuff to learn, but we also have a part to play in the story. This is the Amen. mission you're talking about. And that's where, I mean, so much of our world is yearning for meaning, right? I mean, so much of our world is, it's a life is a story with no plot. You give your life means like, no, no, what we long is means receive from on high. You and I are called and commissioned and sent out. And um, I think I just see it organically as, as all part of the same that began with, you know, uh, I mean, whether it's Abraham or going back further in the way, like St. Paul, for example, just to give one example, Galatians 3, 8, 
mm-hmm. speaks of the promises to Abraham, specifically the one of the worldwide blessing, this universal family of God mm-hmm. as the quote gospel preached beforehand. And so you start to see that like new and old covenants, not just before and after Jesus, but that's, it's the seeds planted even back there. Mm-hmm. And this is what it means to be kataholos, according to the whole, the Catholic family of God is the fulfillment of that Abrahamic promise. And that's the gospel preached before and to Abraham. So it's, it's not an add on. This is part of the great story. Yeah, that's amazing. That, that yeah, that's it's just so true that the, we're in, we're in the game. Galatians two twenty, right? For I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That 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 like my, my call is to continue this story that was unveiled by the incarnation. This story of God with us, right? Which um, is written about in the book as well. And uh, I, I think that it, it would do us uh, well to not, to your point. Um, <laughs> mistakenly fall into a cessationism where it's like, well, once the apostles died, it was really set up and we're, it's like, no, we're in acts chapter, whatever, 2022. <laughs> and like, it, it's yeah. continuing through us. And um, yeah, when, when I was um, reading the the book, the first part that, that jumped off the page to me, and I think the formation we give to our missionaries here at Damascus aligns a lot with this. So I, I would love the wisdom you have on it is you spent a lot of time in the book building the foundation of the family of God, right? That the beginning of the catechism, which is also broken down by the creed, which again, there's a wisdom in all of this, right? Um, With your experience with college students specifically, you mentioned the need for mission, for meaning, I I would say for purpose, right? Like all of these ways of saying it. Um, What have you seen? Why is understanding our sonship and daughterhood so important Mm -hmm. as a first step to being able to embrace the rest of it? Gosh, um, I, I think on the one hand, I think we have undersold the true supernatural grandeur of what Christianity is all about. Uh, I mean, I think too often in the States, at least, we think of it as a moral and a political phenomenon. It's mm-hmm. a Midwestern thing, right? You vote a certain way. And like, I get that it's got moral and political implications. Of course. Um, but at a far deeper level, I mean, if I had to give you the gospel in, in like a sentence, I'd say it's for the Holy Spirit to reproduce the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in and through each one of us, that we enter into the life of the Son such that the Father would love you and love me as he loves his only begotten Son. And when you realize moral perfection couldn't earn one drop of that, this is God coming out of himself, uniting himself with us and raising us up to him. You start to realize it's about sharing in divine life. And then you start asking questions like, well, how much of the divine life do you want to share it? It's not like, what's the least I got to do to avoid hell? It's mm-hmm. how much of the divine life do you want? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think on the one hand, like we need to re-proclaim as our kerygma, the, 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 just the supernatural glory of what this is all about. It's not yeah, just by the- like be a good... No, I was just saying by the mixing of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. It's right at the heart of the sacrament. Absolutely. And it's not just be a good Girl Scout or Boy Scout for Jesus. And, 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 you know, maybe in in your circles, I'm sure that it's communicated, but I think for the average person, it's like, you know, you just be, and this is what me growing up, like you just be a nice person. It's like, well, Confucius could have taught me that. What difference does Jesus make? Uh, so I think mm-hmm. on the one hand, like to really come to grips with awe and wonder at what God has done. And then you think about, well, who am I? I think so many and so many of our young people, but I think all of us don't believe that they're worthy of God's love. And I always tell them, like, think about pray over what we say right before we receive the blessed sacrament. 
Lord, I am not worthy that you should come enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. You would trust not in ourselves. Do you trust in the power and efficacy of God's word to make you worthy? And you start seeing, gosh, I am not the sum of my sins. I'm not the sum of my weaknesses. I am a son or a daughter in the sun. And it's about sharing in divine life. And yeah. all of a sudden, if that's your identity, it's not just football. It's not my work. It's not my looks. It's not my economics. It's not all mm -hmm. these things that, frankly, we know don't matter, but we still put our stock in them. Yeah. Um, and so that that is just transformative. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I think on the one hand, just to really come to grips with what the faith really is all about, what God has done for us, and then to realize, what does it mean for my life to be in Christ? It's like, mm. what could be more exhilarating than this? What could right. be more exciting than this, right? <laughs> no, and you mentioned the, the idea of worth, right? Like, I, I can feel unworthy, but the Lord has declared worthiness. Like, so that transcends my feeling that right. Jesus as the Redeemer, one of the etymological journeys we can take in that word, right, is to deem is to speak a declaration, right? And yeah. the Lord declared something at the beginning that it was very good. Something else was declared after that. And then the Redeemer came to speak once again what was spoken at the beginning, right? And, and to bring us back into the Father's embrace. Amen. And, and his declaration is not a falsehood. Like it's an efficacious word. He speaks and it comes to be. And like, yes. so it's, it, do you trust it? Do you trust God or not? You don't yeah. trust him. And I, that, from my, I see my students' eyes like, Oh, you yeah. know, and they just, it helps them to remove, you know, the, one of the things I like to point out is that the, the Satan, Satan in Hebrew means mm -hmm. to accuse. Like in temptation, he's our buddy. Come on, come on. Mm -hmm. It'll be okay. When you fall though, he wants to douse us in shame. And he's like, yeah. you think you can come back? You, you can be a Catholic or Christian leader after what you've done. And, mm -hmm. the sh and, and to just realize that is from the depths of hell. I reject yeah. that voice. Yeah. And I embrace the voice of the spirit. I am a son. I am a daughter. This is everything right here. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's the uh, the accuser is the prosecutor and the paraclete's the defense attorney, right? That the, that the Holy Spirit's speaking a better word, that that in our lives as Christian people, we have evidence for and evidence against. So I, I have evidence in my life for the fact that I'm unworthy, but the evidence of Christ far surpasses that. And the Holy Spirit speaks that word back to me, right? That when I'm condemned, it's like, no. I, I stand in that gap because of the blood of Jesus. And that's the beauty of our faith, right? Like that should be an adventure. Like, man, it, you go to mass and it's like, let's get excited. Like back when I was playing football, I, I actually, we were talking about this. I forewent playing college football and actually ended up working for Ohio State's football team in a roundabout way. And um, before football games, th the entire team is so zoned in on what they're doing. They believe in what they're doing. They have an objective to what they're doing. and I, I hunger so much to see that in the church, that we could come into the church. And yes, of course, we're going to be exhausted because we have kids that are running around and we, we just got done with the work. But man, we're so focused on this thing because it, it's worth being caught up in. And um, yeah, the family of God that we're gathering with, which is what you guys entitled that, that first um, chapter. I also love that you guys hit on fatherhood a little bit and uh, not yet a father, um, Speaking to a father of five, I would presume that fatherhood is written about differently after you become a father. And I think that when I look at the the church today, the need in the church is very similar to the need we see in the world. It's present fathers who love and proclaim the identity of their sons and daughters, right? And uh, and thank the Lord for all of the men who we call father, who you also talk about in the in the uh, 
in the book with our un- unbelievable priests who give their life to the Lord. I, I guess what I would want to ask you is when you look at the, the culture today, um, what do you see as the reasons that the fatherhood needs proclaimed in a different way? I, I think, I guess, let me, let me say it like this. When I, when I was reading the book, I couldn't help but think one of the reasons that we might struggle with thinking we're in the family of God is because we have a misconception of what a father is. And so I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, please. Well, if I could say first, Brad, you, you are a father. Um, mm-hmm even if not biological yet. Uh, at the end of uh, Voitiwa, John Paul II, the end of Love and Responsibility, talked about how all of us are called to spiritual fatherhood and motherhood. And hmm. if you think about, you know, an organism is, by, is, is mature when it can reproduce itself. W- what does it mean to be a father hmm. um, as a Christian? It means to help promulgate and pass on the life that's come to maturity in me in someone else, right? That's so so that in fact, biological fathers are called to that, right? That's hmm. it's spiritual father we're all called to. And even for biological fathers, they're not my kids, they're God's. I, I'm here to evangelize sure. their heart, evangelize their minds. So, so, hmm. and it's not about age. It's not about age. So I, I, I know that what you all are doing, like you are hmm. exercising a spiritual fatherhood and then our, our priests in a supernatural way, communicating the life of God to mm-hmm. us. Amen. Uh, but you're so right. One of the things I like to say, and, and uh, this is part of my story too. I mean, I think my siblings and I would describe Grew up with my dad as, as, as emotionally abusive, kind of would be a kind of an understatement. Uh, like, mm-hmm. My story is not like everybody. A lot of people have this story where, uh, you mm-hmm. know, he, he worked a lot of hours. There was like a stranger in your house. And um, I had a deep fear, uh, you know, kind of coming of age and especially as Sarah and I were engaged that I wouldn't know how to be a good husband or a good father because I didn't really see that growing up. If I could just say to everybody listening, I say this to my students a lot, too. You can be as good of a father or husband as you want to be. So on the one hand, the wounds we carry, I do think, you know, we often repeat our experiences if, I think this is a big if, if there's nothing to buck the trend. But if you have a conversion experience, if you if you want to heal in Christ, if you want to change, you want to do something different, you, you can be what you want to be. I promise you, Jesus Christ will set you free through the power of the Spirit. Um, but you're right. I think you say father, you say family. A lot of us don't. So I think it can go both ways. It can be like, gosh, that really taints my image of God the Father. Or I've also seen it go the other way where it's like, I never had that experience of a wholesome family. I, 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 mm. I sense the need and the ache. And so I, I, you know, as St. Paul says in Ephesians three, all, you know, from whom all fatherhood is named that all fatherhood is a participation in God's fatherhood. That's what we're called to be. It's not about us. Um, but yeah, we have to cut through what we mean and remove the imperfections and remove all the, the wounds and the hurts and the heartaches and the, but I, it's family is such a unique thing. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, it's such mm-hmm. a great gift. But we all, I think, notice when it's not there that there's something injustice that should have been there that's not. That there's a, it's a gift, it's a grace, but it's also a need. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a lot of us, um, either a fellow disciples, fellow Christians, and the church herself can step into that gap. And, and one of the things I like to emphasize, mm-hmm. and this can show up here, is that Jesus answers the human question. John Paul II loved to say that the, the answer to the question that is every human life is Jesus Christ. And I think mm-hmm. you see that and sometimes it's on occasion, people grow up with great families. Uh, you can take it for granted and, and yeah. you can maybe not sense your absolute need for our savior um, because it looks mm-hmm. like you got it all together on the outside, at least uh, not everybody falls into that. Like we want to do it right, but it, it, sure. it can happen that way too. So it can kind of go both mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. Right. Well, cause um. Yeah, there, there's just so much in what you were saying. It's funny because in my in my conversion, I, I think you might be able to relate to this because um, just growing up, 
with athletic perfection being the number one goal in my life, the, there was an immediate um, response upon conversion of understanding Jesus. Like, oh, let's die for something bigger. Let's do this thing, you know, yeah. with the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm going to come alongside and raise you up and lift you up and help you be all you can be. And then with the Father, it was like, um, I don't know if I know how to relate to that as fully as I desire to. And to your point, it was actually the relationship with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit that, that continued to reveal the Father to me, right? That continued to reveal the heart of, uh, and it, it changed my life. And, and I wonder what you would think about this, knowing scripture better than I undoubtedly, but just reading through Genesis, it changed my life whenever God returns to the garden to hear his words through a different inflection than what I used to hear them through. So when Father God returns to the garden and Adam and Eve have eaten of the tree, he comes and he asks that question, where are you? And I would always attribute to that an inflection uh, that was disappointed, frustrated, and ready to discipline. Where are you? You know, something like that. And I remember so vividly in prayer reading through Genesis for, I don't know, we read through Genesis all the time, even before conversion, right? Like it's well known. But when I started hearing that as like, where are you? Like, I'm looking, I'm looking, you don't have to hide. I'm looking for you, you know? And he goes so far in that inflection to give us Jesus, to, to empty the riches of heaven that he could have us again. And that's yeah. uh, such, a, such a, a rich investment, right? Like, he, he, he just goes so far to bring us back into family, you know? Uh, and, well, in that scene, like, we're the ones hiding. We're right. afraid. Yes. Right. I was afraid because I was naked. Mm -hmm. You know, where mm -hmm. are you? Well, God knows where we are, but we often don't know where we are. Right. And good. You know, one of the things I like to say, I mean, like, you know, in, in mortal sin, God doesn't stop loving us. We stop loving God. That's such a good and, word. And you got to compare that whole scene. I mean, and you, you know, this is, is well, I mean, to the prodigal son, right? The mm -hmm. father who runs to meet the son. Um, mm -hmm. That that image of the prodigal son, yeah, we like the prodigal, this great repentance story, this great Augustine story. But it's like really, and the catechism points this out: the heart and soul of that parable is the unconditional love of the father. Yeah, the he prodigal father. The way we are, yeah, mm -hmm. but too much to leave us that way. Yeah, that's so good, right? Because he's so wasteful. He's just he's he's expending his yeah. love all the time, even when Brad's hiding from it or deflecting it or uh, or too ashamed to attend to it. Whatever you know, whatever we fall into sometimes. But yeah, um. I love that when you guys were talking about that, because because I think that's an important thing for us in the church to recognize, right? That 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 God, it's not that God needs us, but He wants us so much that it looks like need. That that's pretty much love, you know. God infinitely blessed and perfect in Himself in a plan of sheer goodness. Um, I love that you guys in the book tie that immediately into our Catholic heritage and how the family of God was given a home. You guys even bring up Duomo, like the, the idea that like yeah. the, the cathedral, the dome, like the, the, it's, it's home. It, it's the family of God has been given a home and uh, that home has traditions to it. Like, like all of our homes. I'm sure if I came over to the Swafford house, there's sure. different uh, house rules for the kids. And I, um, maybe even like the uh, sign that Nina and I got like three times for our uh, wedding registry. Like as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, which matters. I love it. It just like there's, there's these. Um, aegises under which homes are built. But I wonder, um, you guys relate tradition and scripture there. So I, I wonder if you want to speak a little bit to that. Like where, where did your heart um, come from in allowing that to be the follow-up to the family of God? 
Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I think when you see, and this is the this is what confidence is all about. This is the, the family, and I think the family helps us to see the faith not merely like in juridical terms, not just as like, okay, now we're defendants who've been acquitted. Rather, we are sons and daughters who have been ushered into the family of God. And, right. you know, family can unite things like law and love and liturgy and the saints become our older brothers and sisters, Mary, our mother, even Pope, our Holy Father. Um, and you start thinking family room, not simply courtroom, father, not just judge. Um, but yeah, scripture and tradition, this is, it's kind of front and center. I mean, we're so used to like a Bible study and um, in, in a real way, in a deep way, scripture itself really is, is, is crystallized tradition. Um, hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, and we can get into a lot of technicalities, but the issue of the canon, for example, for the early church was really first a, a liturgical issue than before it was a literary one. I mean, the printing press isn't developed to 1453, right? So for the first millennium and a half, you're hearing the scriptures proclaimed in their natural habitat, which is in the context of the sacred liturgy. It's kind of like, you know, Moses on Mount Sinai, when the Sinai covenants ratified in Exodus 24, the word of God is proclaimed. And that's in preparation for the sacrifice, the blood of the covenant, which Jesus picks up verbatim in the Last Supper. And then it culminates in a communion meal on the top of Sinai in the presence of God. So you go from word to sacrifice to this sacred banquet meal in God's presence. That's the mass. It's sort of like um, Ratzinger once said that the in the church, both synagogue and temple converged. Synagogue where the word of God was proclaimed hmm. and temple where the sacrifice. So I think liturgy of the, uh, the word, liturgy of the Eucharist. Um, and so... Um, that really is it's not and i'm all for a private bible study i'm all for study of scripture um but the tradition really carries the text to us the tradition let me back up a step when we think of tradition i think we think of it as like cerebral too often we think of it as like just intellectual i joke with my students i'm like hey imagine if you traveled the country with your favorite professor and you watch that professor give the same intro lecture again and again you do this for three <laughs> years and you live with this professor you live with him or her you watch not just what they taught but how they prayed how they served you receive their whole way of life. That's what tradition is. It's the life of Christ passed on to the apostles, passed on to the church. And, and scripture is, I mean, a Catholic can happily say prima scripture, the primacy of scripture, just not mm. sola scripture, because it's not scripture alone. Scripture is really meant to be read from the heart of the church from within this living tradition as our, our greatest family heirloom. And when, I mean, in my experience, when that happens, scripture comes alive. One of the discussions I had a lot with my evangelical brothers and sisters at Trinity is, and I could see some, about half of them were PhD bound, half were pastor bound, especially the ones that were mm -hmm. pastor bound. It was like, how do I bridge the gap between the there and then in the past and the here and now? Mm -hmm. And in a real way, tradition, liturgy, lexio, the spiritual senses do just that. And in many ways, they were kind of jealous of me that, that reading scripture from the heart of the church and the Catholic tradition, it wasn't just, here's what I think. Here's my best hypothesis here. It's, here is the received faith that I give to you. And I'm answering to something. I, I'm a custodian mm -hmm. and a steward, not the master of this deposit yeah. of faith. Yeah, no, that's so good. Yeah, because the uh, uh, the analogy that you've probably heard before, but I've been told and I, I've recited it afterwards because I thought it made sense is if I was playing on the top of a mountain, would, would I be more free without fences and without a wall or more free with fences yeah. and with a wall? Like whenever you have something to contain, there, there's no opportunity to fall off, right? And the things within that, that's where um, I think it's Matt Fratt who says this, but maybe he's getting it from someone, but that, that we should be slow to demand conformity where the church allows for diversity of expression, that everything inside those walls, the church has deemed fair game, right? And I think there's something to that analogy. 
Well, it's it's liberal. I mean, the, the, the like I often use the like the tradition. It's not a straitjacket. It's not. This is what this means. Nothing else. It, the tradition is like an ocean in which it's safe to swim, and the church is like, go study, go pray, go play. I mean, very seldom does the church say this is the meaning of that passage. I can think of right. a couple examples, but that's it. It's really none of us are going to exhaust any passage of scripture. Why? Because God is the author and it's yeah. going to be infinitely inexhaustible. I mean, there's things to say, of course, and it's not like a free for all, but within the tradition, it really frees us to mm -hmm. read scripture as a living word of God and not a letter from the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so true. That's so true. And I also love what you said about Prima because I've thought about that before. When you think about our Protestant brothers and sisters, the three solas, I think if you bring those to primas, we're back on the same page. Like Amen. if it was prima fide, if it was prima gratia, if, if it was, if it was prima scriptura, you're, you're, you're set, right. Like it's only that the, the church builds from there and how beautiful that is. And, and you guys talk in the, the book about how tradition is caught more than taught that we we've actually like, we've, we've been given a home that we attend the sacraments within that we go into with the rest of the family of God. And right. we get caught up in this past down lived reality. Right. And uh, what do you think about that? Do you think that's a, a I think that's an effective mode of ecumenism, but I, I, I don't see it happen all that often, but I wonder, am I missing something there? I think you're, you're exactly right. And, and this is how, I mean, if you open up the Summa and you see what St. Thomas Aquinas says about scripture and it's primacy, mm -hmm. look at Vatican II, Dave Arabin 24, the study of the sacred page should be the very soul of theology. I mean, I, I tried some of my students jokingly, but I'm like, you don't want to be a theologianologist. Like the doctors and saints, they drank from the font of sacred scripture. Uh, and so we don't mm -hmm. rip scripture away from the tradition. We read it from the heart of the church, but really the tradition, all the saints will tell you, go back again and again to the sacred page because only of the sacred page we say it's divinely authored we don't yeah. say that about anything else divinely authored uh and that's why it has a primacy in all the great saints mm -hmm. and doctors and the in the teach this is the catholic teaching of the church uh, yeah. it's not, i mean saint thomas aquinas thought you should study the summa in preparation for his Bible classes. He primarily was a master of the sacred page. And mm -hmm. so to like, and I love my, my first point is Thomas after Aquinas. I love my Aquinas. I love, I, I love, mm -hmm. but he, he would think, I, I think you think it's kind of weird to spend all our time just studying the Summa. If we didn't use that as a vehicle and a lens through which to go back to the sacred page. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause the, the logos is the cornerstone of the church. Right. And so mm -hmm. obviously incarnate in Jesus, but given us to not, but, Amen. and, given to us so graciously in sacred scripture. And I found, and I don't mean to be accused of in my own life, when I stepped away from scripture, the faith can easily become more of an idea. And you kind of lose mm. that tangible connection mm. with the Lord and encountering the Lord in scripture, scripture and liturgy together with the catechism. I mean, this is really what we tried to do with the what mm -hmm. we believe study. I think that's an explosive commendation. Uh, when you step away from scripture, I think what you find yourself often saying is, well, Irenaeus taught this, Francis taught this, Aquinas taught this, Bonavich taught this, and you got the <laughs> smorgasbord of thinkers, and then you start getting kind of tribalistic. Well, I'm a Thomist, mm -hmm. I'm a Bonaventurian, mm -hmm. I'm a Scotist, I'm a, and it's like mm -hmm. that's not how they thought about this. Yeah, yeah, no, you're 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 baptized, right? Like so, like I'm you're in this, this rich tradition. Yeah, we're Catholic, exactly, you know, exactly. I'm, you said earlier. I mean, I think we need to hear that. Like the church is everything's so polarized today. Like we, we, we need unity on, on, on the things we need unity about, but we also need to recognize there's a healthy diversity that's mm -hmm. rooted in a deeper unit. When the church is at our strongest, there's a, I mean, 
Franciscans, Benedictines, Dominicans. All, why? Because no one approach will exhaust the mystery of God. We need it all. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, I wonder uh, if, if you can speak to this a little bit, because we're, we're talking a lot about the, the gospel here, which obviously is a passion of yours and mine, which I think is why we remain as lay people working full, full time in the areas of faith that we do. But like, I do see in our world today that I, I think that the biggest issue we're facing as a church is the indifference to the gospel, that the good news isn't good news anymore. It's just okay news we've heard before, right? Like it's just, yeah, I've heard that story. It sounds good. And I know what you're speaking to is as you've gotten away from scripture at times, it's felt more like an idea, but I wonder how we keep people from thinking scripture is just an idea. That no, this isn't just a story of a good moral teacher. That this is a faith alive. This story is still being represented today. Like, yeah. it, of course, it happened once for all, and also at the same time, it's it's here now. It's that mystery of the heavenly reality. But I wonder, like, how do we bring the gospels back to life? You work with college students. I work with college students. Um, I I see a different. Well, I guess it's metanoia. I see a change of the mind. I see a renewal of the mind when people go. Oh wait, this story that I've been living rules from my whole life is present and real. Well, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna change my life. I wonder, like, how do you bring it to life for the students in your class? Maybe it's not a formula, but I, I would just wonder what your thoughts are. Gosh, that this this is a really wonderful question. Um, just my gut reaction is this: you can't just hand out Bible tracks. Right. You can't just say, hey, read this. Uh, in my experience, it because it, it goes how you read scripture can make all the difference in the world, which is kind of what you're getting at. You, you yes. can read this as a secularist. You can read. There are atheist Bible scholars. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think um, there's got to be the well, a couple things. I think one, if you don't have any sense for the bad news, it's hard to appreciate the good news. So my moral life class mm -hmm. that I just I'm, I'm teaching right now. I began it with Augustine's Confessions. We're just going to read mm -hmm. Augustine's story and kind of mm -hmm. existentially bring this face to face. And, and many of them are like, yeah, that's me. That's me. I mean, Augustine is caught up in sex. He's caught up in vanity mm -hmm. and prestige and honor and chasing after all these different things. And he eventually um, gives his life to the Lord. So I think there's different ways to do it. But I think for them to kind of come to grips with, yeah, there's an emptiness. There's something missing in my life. There's a brokenness. There's something. Mm -hmm. they, they, if if that's not there, it's hard to get past that man. You know, indifference. That's really good. Yeah, I think the and then some kind of encounter, whether it's maybe it's praise and worship, maybe it's a prayer system, maybe it's praying people, maybe it's at the in the mass in the Eucharist. I mean, may, you know, maybe it's adoration. I, I think in a, a living encounter in the present with real people, and I think the more that becomes a sacramental encounter. Mm -hmm. And it's almost paradoxical, but when you move from that vantage point and then you turn to the sacred page, mm -hmm. this is where I've seen the most fruit. I think if you just, I mean, so even my Bible classes, um, you know, it's, there's an academic component, there's a historical component, mm -hmm. there's a literary component, mm -hmm. but if you don't bring in the theology of it, it's sort of like, mm -hmm. it's like going on a pilgrimage, right? And I've done, I've done pilgrimages to the Holy Land, to, to Krakow, huh. to Rome, yeah. and, and some guides are great and some it's more like a museum tour. And I think mm -hmm. the, the main the thing that I tell myself is if you can't answer the so what question, like, mm -hmm. wh why is this important? Like, not just it was built in 14, whatever. Like, how does it change my life? If, if we yeah. can't constantly be able to answer that question, no one's mm -hmm. going to care what we're talking about. 
That's right. Uh, so I think that to me in teaching scripture is key to not just get lost in the weeds because that that's something that can happen. Get lost in these details. If you can't answer the so what question, mm-hmm. then it falls flat. That's that's really good. Yeah, yeah. It's something like well, um, just kind of paraphrasing what I'm hearing from you. It's it's recognize the need and meet the solution. Recognize the need. Yeah. So so I I desire something more than I have right now. And when I recognize that, I'm then like. Okay, then what is there, right? We'll meet the, right. then that's where the church's sacraments, that's where the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you talk about Aquinas, those preternatural gifts and the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, that they're coming in mm-hmm. so that we know that God is intimately involved in our circumstances. Yeah. He's giving us a pretaste of heaven. So we know that it's here now, but not yet. And it gives us this aim, this intention that I think is, is pivotal. I, I wonder if we could connect that to the creed too, because I, I think, um, Maybe as kind of a um, a final part of our conversation, just the the monotony that I think people can find sometimes in the mass and things like that um, comes from repetition without realization sometimes. Um, and I see that in the scriptures to what we're talking about, that it becomes a story that just becomes another good story amongst many um, that's not made on TV like – um, the Chronicles of Narnia, no matter how good they are, right? Like it, it just kind of fades to the, the background. But I see that with the creed too, that, that sometimes we, we've learned this amazing prayer, this declaration from a young age, and it's become monotonous. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll just let you speak to that. I don't know if I have a question in it. It's just a, a recognition I've had. Well, I know what you're getting, and I think it's important, and we tried to really bring this out in the book and the study, that the, the creed is Trinitarian. It's about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's about these. It's about communion with these three persons who love us. And you know, in the there's a great passage in the Catechism in two thirty six. Uh, and the Fathers thought of theology this way as as theologia and oikonomia. Theologia, who God is as triune, as this communion of persons, as this this eternal family of God, this eternal life giving love, and oikonomia, which is where we get our word economy from, but it means literally means house law. It's, it's what God does in time and space, how God father fathers his family. And so what you have is this eternal family of God and the father, son, Holy spirit coming out from himself and, and drawing us into it and and bringing us into his inner life, his inner heart. And so the, the the creed really is all about who the father, son, Holy spirit are and what they've done for us in creation, redemption, sanctification, the sin of the spirit. So the, the, and the catechism really is wonderful here. I mean, it's really the whole first pillar is all in, just an, an extrapolation ex- explanation of the apostles and Nicene Creed. And many Protestants have read this and be like, gosh, there's nothing to disagree with. I mean, he's just, it's just unpacking the fullness mm-hmm. of what the apostolic faith is. And so I think the more it's not just like formulas that we say, I mean, even our faith, our faith does not, you know, um, God from God, life from life, uh, true God from true God, begotten, I made consubstantial with the Father. Our faith does not terminate in formulas. Our faith terminates in the reality. The formulas are just like guideposts mm-hmm, that, that, mm-hmm. that keep, that, that they, they, they protect the mystery. I think maybe we could say it this way. We've got too much crash, uh, Christian uh, rationalism, rationalism, where we, we mm-hmm. kind of rationalize the faith. The faith is mystery from beginning to end. The mm-hmm. dogmas, the formulas, they are just like, protections of the mystery but our faith doesn't stop there there's like guiding it or guarding it and drawing us in into this this is why we'll never exhaust the faith we'll never cease to understand the fullness of what we've been given mm-hmm. because it's infinite it, i mean yeah it's absolutely infinite so I, I think the more you think about the creed as i'm learning about the god who is family 
and how mm-hmm. he's ushered me into this family and how you realize it's really a narrative at work. Salvation mm-hmm. history. It's not like just ideas that, I mean, God, mm-hmm. I'm talking a lot here, but like these things, no, didn't you're happen right. on Earth. it's not like Mount Olympus. It's like real space, real time. Like God became one of us. He didn't say, here's some Plato, here's mm-hmm. some ideas. He became one of us and ushered us into mm-hmm. his inner life. And that's what it's all about. I guess if I could just leave you all with this is like, this is so exciting because it's not like, how do I get the get out of hell free card? It's like, right. Do you, do you have, I mean, God wants you and me to share in his inner life, this inner mm-hmm. familial life. I mean, like the highest of the angels couldn't earn one drop of that. This is utter, mm-hmm. utter gratuity. Mm-hmm. And then you yeah. realize, gosh, it's not about like, how do I earn my way in? It's like, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? Like, yeah, if right. you say that you've, you've kind of brought heaven down to earth. Like you don't realize mm-hmm. the heavenly glory in you know, to which you've been invited. Yeah, right. No, that, that perichoresis, that eternal dance, Father, Son, Holy Spirit proceeding, inspiring from that. We want to get caught up in that dance because why not? That's where adventure's at. Like, like if we sit on the sidelines, we're always wondering, like, I, 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 wonder, I wonder what it would be like to, to be out there. But like the bringing of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus allows us to know that we're in the game that we're participating, that we don't have to look and say, I wish they'd run this play differently or this, like we're participating in that, like where we can see a need, we can fill it. And, um, just as you were speaking, I I think is like a last analogy for those who are listening. I I was listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about the church, uh, through the image of a river, which we see all the time in scripture, obviously. And, uh, the, the river has these two key components. It has its, its banks, and then it has the current, the water that's flowing. And the banks, right? Like if the banks have no water flowing, it's just a ditch. And if the water has no banks, then it's a flood. And so the, what, what, the, what the creed I think does for us is it gives us this framework, these banks. And then our participation is the water that flows through those banks. When I'm professing the father, I need to think about what does that mean that I have a father who loves me? When I profess the son, who died for me. What does that mean that he died for me and that he's bringing me in? Uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean for me that God's very life is inside of me, right? Uh, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, right? The one Holy Catholic. What does that mean? How do we bring unity to the church? How can we make it holy again? in the fullness of what that means? Like all of those things. So, yeah. no, I'm really grateful for all the all the words you've spoken today. And um, yeah. and I guess like – um. Just to, um, to cap us off, just any any final thoughts? Again, the, the book that um, Dr. Swafford has written is entitled What We Believe, The Beauty of the Catholic Faith. So uh, for any of you listening, that is a, a worthwhile read. It's broken into three sections, who we are as the church, as the family of God, our faith, and then our life, which talks about the sacraments and all the amazing things that flow from the faith we've accepted. But yeah, just any any last thoughts? Andrew? Yeah. Well, so, so it, it's a book, as I said earlier, it's, it's a DVD study and there's a workbook that goes with the, the, the videos. And How about that? Okay. The, yeah. If you get the videos digitally, you can get the whole thing, the book, the workbook and the videos online for 30 bucks. Thanks for uh, saying so that. We'll have to email you. Yeah. yeah and, get, and get that link. Great. Ascensionpress.com. Yeah, yeah, no, um, but you know, it's this, this is the greatest story ever told. This is, but it, it's, I mean, Christianity is myth made fact. That's what's so amazing. Like what all the great things point to, what Narnia points to, what Lord of the Rings points to, what the myths that preceded it point to, this is real. This is real. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing, I think the hardest thing to believe is that God loves us that much. Uh, I love my Aristotle. He never got there. He never quite got there. 
that God, the creator of the cosmos cares that much about this speck of matter. But that, that is the good news. That is the gospel. And it's not just about what happened in the past. Like it's our life in the present. And this is really what the liturgy and the sacraments do. The, like uh, maybe I'll leave you with this. Why the Eucharist, which is source and summit, as Irenaeus you know, said, our, our, the Eucharist forms a way of thinking. Our thinking is attuned to the Eucharist. Um, the Eucharist makes the Paschal mystery, the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, never locked in the past. It exists in the ever-present so Christians wow. of every generation can enter into it. Uh, so in the liturgy, really time and eternity kiss. This is It makes yeah. salvation history present. And I think we've lost that sense because we think of the liturgy or the creed as just like these rituals that we do, these human things. But really in the liturgy, in the mass, in the Eucharist, in the sacraments, God acts. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. uh, so you and I, we're just trying to be, you know, the donkey upon which our Lord rides to Jerusalem Amen. and not get away. But, but it's the fact that the Lord has called us. It's not because he needs us. But he mm -hmm. dignifies us in, in commissioning right. us, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he's just this utter gift, right? I mean, like, God plus the world is not greater than God, but he mm -hmm. just can't stop pouring himself out, and we're kind of caught up in the stream. And that's what makes mm -hmm. life so exciting is to give our lives away as a gift. Yeah, that's right. The kingdom of God is at hand. So repent Amen. and believe in the gospel, right? Let's believe in that good news again. Amen. It's so good to, to have you, Andrew. And is it okay? Um. I'd like to pray for you before we close here. Please, Can we do that? Please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of Andrew. I thank you for the gift of his life, and I thank you for all of the ways that you're working in and through him. Thank you for the gift of his wife, Sarah. Thank you for the gift of their five children. We pray today, Lord, that you would bless them abundantly. And I pray specifically, Lord, that in the classes that Andrew's teaching, any, any ways that those classes have become redundant, I pray that you would breathe new life into them. I pray, Lord, that you would show him again the adventure in the teachings that he's given. I, I pray that you would give him new revelation and that he would step out in faith to present uh, new things that are on his heart and that he would get as much enjoyment from his teaching tomorrow as he did at the very beginning and that he could carry that through the rest of his life. Lord, thank you for the gift of his life. Thank you for the gift of all the work that he's doing, especially here uh, in this podcast and with this book and DVD series and workbook on what we believe and in the creed. Thanks for giving us such an amazing faith. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Brad. I really appreciate Andrew, that. You Thanks know for God having bless me you. On. Yeah, yeah God we're bless grateful you to have Thanks you. Thanks for all you do. Thank you. Yeah, and for those listening, this has been Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. If uh, this blessed you, please share this uh, interview with a friend and uh, find us on all of the platforms that you find podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I'm probably forgetting some. You can find the video recording of this on YouTube, and we look forward to continuing to advance the gospel with you who are listening. So God bless you, and we'll see you next week.